This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. Good morning, you're listening to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mukhtar. Discussions on the care economy have risen in prominence over the past year amid a crystallizing realization that demographic shifts in society mean the traditional care arrangements in households are no longer sustainable. What policy measures are needed to cultivate a care economy that creates decent work opportunities while providing quality services for the betterment of society as a whole? Joining me to discuss this today is Lee Minhui, Public Policy Analyst with the Institute for Strategic and International Studies, or ISIS Malaysia, as well as PC Gun, CEO and co-founder of Kampongku, an outfit providing age-friendly programs and activities. PC Minhui, welcome to the show. Thank Hi. you for having us. So Minhui, I would like to start with you in maybe getting a better understanding of what the term care economy actually encompasses. So it's commonly used in reference to either childcare or elder care needs in society, but the scope is actually much larger than this binary, yeah? Yes. So the care economy in general aims to recognize both paid and unpaid care work uh, that is commonly done for our dependents. But in the sense that we're talking about, we're looking at child care and elderly care and also looking at it across a spectrum, understanding that care needs don't stop when a child uh, reaches a certain age and that they don't start back up when someone uh, reaches old age, right? The understanding is that it is a spectrum of care services that people require throughout their lifetime. Hmm. Now, care work, you mentioned paid and unpaid. It's always existed in the economy, yeah? Why do you think discussions are coalescing around this notion of a care economy, um, suggesting something more structured or orderly? Right. So I think Malaysia is seeing a lot of demographic changes. Just last year, we became an aging nation, um, and our old age dependency is expected to rise about threefold by 2040. So that will be a surge in care needs. At the same time, uh, we see women having a lot of employment uh, opportunities that uh, they have to miss simply because of care work, and that's already for childcare. So if you look at the numbers, 696 percent of women are outside of the labor force. They make up the majority of them. And if you look closely at labor force survey data, they are, what is usually raised is housework and care responsibilities as the key reason for non-participation. Mm. So we see women already struggling with the burdens of childcare. And now with aged care uh, rising, it's going to be a huge economic issue. We're going to have a shrinking labor, fo work, labor force and also a decline in total fertility rates. So looking at it in terms of an economy, it's really important because we need to recognize that care work is labor. It should be remunerated as such. It is, in fact, the work that enables all other forms of work. So a care economy approach really tries to harness uh, the role of the care sector as a productive economic sector, but also trying to um, support uh, women and former caregivers and the elderly and children. PC, you're a player in the care economy, um, specifically related to elderly care services. You were previously with Omaj Malaysia before you set up a Kampongku. From your perspective, what are the trends that you've observed that have been driving customers to seek uh, these services? Mm. So I think um, just banking on what uh, Min was saying earlier, right, about the um, life expectancies that has um, increased over the years, right? So um, in the 80s, it was at about 70, and then now it's about 77. 
Now, that means is that people are actually getting older. And also, as you get older, um, the increase of um, NCDs, non-communicable disease, also increases. Care of cost also increase. Now, most of the time in my previous um, role, it's often too late when people seek for care. So there's very little um, knowledge about active aging. So now with that, people then look into, okay, when somebody falls, this um, I need to look for a nurse. Mm. Or if let's say somebody has dementia, I look for a caregiver. So now all of these things, it's all aging in place at home. And it's usually done by either family members first. And if that person burns out, then they'll start looking external for mm. help. Okay, so we are seeing, as you mentioned, the demographic shifts, the fact that we're growing older for longer, yeah. uh, and also the fact that uh, population rates are also decreasing, so the, the burden of care is also on a smaller segment of society in some exactly. ways. Uh, I want to tap into what you said about um, the gender dynamic in care work, uh, Min. And we look at a survey that uh, the ILO did in 2019, which showed that women carry out 76% of unpaid care work globally. If we look at what they do in a day, they spend four hours and a half, whereas men only do one hour and a half. And I'm wondering how you think this gender dynamic impacts the formalization of the care economy then. Does it make it more difficult because it's seen as the role of women does that pose uh, difficulties in formalizing the work and putting a value to it? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think in terms of putting a value to care, I think a lot of countries are really grappling with that. It's a very difficult uh, thing to do, especially because it's bound up with cultural norms and gendered expectations. So yes, the gender roles do affect how we recognize and value care. Um, if we look closely at, at the statistics, if people outside the labor force if they were to engage in unpaid care work or if they were to go into formalised care work, it could result in about $2.5 billion to Malaysia's uh, GDP. So there is a huge value there. But what is the reason for why none of this has really progressed until now when we're seeing major demographic changes? A lot of it is because care work is done at home. It is invisible. And the ways in which our work lives are structured is based on the implicit expectation that there is someone at home mm. taking care of the children, going to do the cooking, going to do the cleaning. And that's why we're in the situation that we are in today. So I think moving forward, these gendered expectations really need to be met with very strong and progressive po policy ideals that understand that women have for the longest time carried this burden and it is not feasible any longer if we want to see further economic development, if we want to ride these major, uh, these major demographic changes smoothly. So in a sense, Gender expectations, yes, they do affect how the care economy is seen and valued, but I do think policies can really go a long way towards recognising it as labour and remunerating it as such. I did want to get your thoughts, PC. Do you see this gender dynamic in your corner of the business, or whether in terms of the customers that come to seek your services or even in the workers that you recruit, right? Do you mm. see women predominantly feature in this? So I think from a caregiver's perspective, yes, majority if not, I think, close to 80% then. Um, it's mainly female. But I think my perspective is also that it's a nature of the job, right? So example, like hard labour, construction work, you generally attract the men. 
But in this type of caregiving work where it's more nurturing, so perhaps that comes more naturally to women. Mm. So hence, that nature of the job draws um, a specific gender. So, so that's my perspective, right? But I think recognising and um, making sure that they're remunerated Yes, that, that's for sure. Um, so I think that's why what we then do is that we make sure that they are paid mm. and they are actually recognised, um, whether if it's through remuneration, through um, upskilling themselves and making sure that you know they are actually being uh, passed on to um, institutions so that they can actually um, get more knowledge. PC, does the traditionally informal nature of care work complicate efforts to value these services in the formal economy? I mean, as you mentioned, Min, we're so used to leaning on mothers, sisters or daughters uh, in a household for care. Does this then hinder setting a viable market rate for these services from your experiences? Do you get complaints that why is this so expensive or how, how have you navigated that, I suppose? So I always think that, you know, falling ill or just being sick is really not for the poor because it is expensive, right? I mean, take a look at um, if somebody were to come out from operation, it comes out to five figures. So it, it's really not for the poor. In fact, it's not for anyone. Hmm. In fact, though, there are just not many options around. And because there are not many options around and there's high demand, economics shows that then the price will drive up, mm. right? And then when we don't have enough resources, what we then do is we bring external, right? So that's why we get a lot of foreign uh, helpers. But then are they equipped? Are they trained? Mm. That's the other question. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it seems to point to a real gap, I suppose, in the way the market operates, that we have demand for these services, but we don't have enough supply. um, And it it kind of distorts the market in that sense. And this is where we typically expect the government to step in, right, to um, kind of correct the market, uh, especially when it's providing public goods. But do you think the government is fully playing this role in terms of the care economy here, Minhui? I mean, what are the limits of the government in providing care services for a society that is changing in demographics? At this stage, Malaysia is only beginning to toy with the idea of a care economy. So, yes, in many ways, our care institutions are not adequate and are not sufficient enough to really deal with the surging care needs. Now, the government is starting this pretty late. Um, But the good news is that there is some movement. There will be a senior citizens bill coming up next year. And the recent Madani economic framework that was uh, announced by Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim also raised the idea of a care economy and focused more on childcare initiatives in that sense. So there are many limitations and that's why we see um, care only being looked at now. Mm. Um, Number one, when we think of care, um, we think of welfare social welfare. And we also know that Malaysia is a welfare state. We are very linked to a lot of Confucian ideals. So we see care as something that the family or the individual takes care of. It's not something that the state normally provides. So that's one of the major perceptions undermining how we look at care. Number two, because of the way we look at care, we don't also integrate it into our economic considerations. We don't collect data on care. We don't know the size of the issue right now, to be very honest. 
most, a lot of the researchers are working based on estimates. Mm. What Malaysia needs is a national time use survey, which really goes down on the ground and collects data on how much time is spent on care work in a day. And once we have those numbers, it'll be easier for policy to pinpoint what, what are the gaps that need to be addressed and things like that. And finally, Malaysia also has to confront the fact that this is a major investment that will require a lot of resources and funds, something that we may not be prepared to do given our, uh, you know, our fiscal situation, our coffers and things like that. So in the long term, we will have to think of new ways of potential taxation, of collecting resources, and also think of care as a long-term investment that will result in savings in the future in terms of less healthcare crisis when it comes to the ageing, in terms terms of less women dropping out of the workforce and continuing to contribute to the economic uh, health of this nation. So really, a lot of it is bound up in our perceptions of care, but also a lot of it is due to very practical constraints. Mm. I would like to um, bring you in, PC, in terms of what your observations have been of other jurisdictions. Because when you were with Omaj, they operate both in Singapore and Australia. I'm, I'm wondering about how would you compare the regulatory and business environment for elder care services in those countries with Malaysia? What are the differences that make it easier or difficult to operate in one space or another? Mm. So the one starting difference, at least um, I see, and I think we should actually look at some of these best practices, right, is the way how they are looking at retirement schemes. I'll give you an example. In Singapore, they have CPF. A portion of it goes under MediShield, which is insurance. So what this means is that my retirement funds, a portion of it takes care of me when I'm old. Whereas over here in EPF, by the age of 55, you can do a full withdrawal. What you do with that money, it's entirely up to you. Mm. But if somebody else falls sick, do we still have that funds? We don't know, right? So in both Australia and Singapore, they actually have got this um, insurance element within the retirement funds. And I think that would actually help in terms of um, helping with the um, cost of care, and it actually helps with, or at least lighten the burden for the children and for everybody else. Mm. So thinking of retirement funds in a different way, yeah, having absolutely. the government ring fence uh, part of your savings for this purpose. Correct, correct. So I think um, in a recent budget, um, our Prime Minister actually suggested to have a third account where you can withdraw anytime, any anywhere, right? Um, the fact that, you know, during MCO, we allow people to withdraw, I think four times already, it's depleting. The savings are depleting. Mm. So I don't think it's about having withdrawal um, option, but more of how then can I make sure that a portion of it takes care of me medically. Mm. I'm speaking to Lee Min Hui, Public Policy Analyst with ISIS Malaysia and PC Gun, CEO and co-founder of Kampung Ku. We'll have more from this conversation after the break. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill. Brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. Thanks for staying tuned to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mokdar and with me on the show today is Lee Minhui, Public Policy Analyst with ISIS Malaysia and PC Gan, CEO and co-founder of Kampung Ku. We're discussing policy recommendations to strengthen the care economy in Malaysia. Earlier, uh, PC brought up the, the fact that um, getting elderly care services or even 
childcare services for that matter. It's expensive. Uh, it's it's not for the poor. And I wonder how we can avoid having a two-tier system when it comes to the care economy, right? Where you have those who have means who go to the supposedly better quality private uh, care services and those who don't uh, are either forced to rely on unpaid labor or go to public uh, health services, which are going to be strained as well. Um, How do we ensure accessibility to quality care services across all income levels, Min? I think that's a great question. And I think a lot of governments are also trying to grapple with this. Um, For Malaysia, we're at the early stages, so we can design it the way we want it to. So I think what really needs to happen is major public investments in building the foundations first uh, in order to prevent um, this two-tier accessibility. First, what we need is a very high quality level of public services right now our public services for care services, I would say they're spotty, right? For aged care, a lot of the models are institutional care models and they provide fundamental services for people who are very disadvantaged, like they have no other relatives, no other resources. So the coverage is low. The same can be said for private care because it is expensive, it prices a lot of people out, coverage is also low and it's uneven. So moving forward, public care services need to be high quality, they need to be affordable, they need to be accessible. That care infrastructure has to be in place. This is going to be a major investment, but it is what will ensure that more people are able to access care. Another thing to look at is how can we reduce that cost of care as a whole. And if we have a care economy with a great, uh, highly trained workforce where people also recognize that they need to be remunerated for these very important skills that they have, we might be able to have a robust system in which people will be able to access. Right now, the care economy was suffering from things like labor shortages, you know, not enough workers. So the government needs to look at it in terms of care infrastructure. They need to look at it in terms of professionalizing the workforce, bringing up a bigger workforce, you know, attracting more people and also really legislating it. Uh, we need a National Care Act that really looks at care workers, looks at the care economy, regulates it, looks at the prices and costs and thinks very clearly about what kind of endpoint does it want to achieve? Is it going to be an endpoint where only some people can afford care, where care is a luxury or is it one that recognizes that everybody needs to be cared for. So in a sense, the issues now are really big. They're all high up in the air. But that's because, you know, we simply have not invested in it enough yet. But Mm -hmm. the time really is now to do that. I'm wondering how useful is this term care economy, actually, given that it covers so many different aspects, right? And child care and elder care, although they cover a lot of the same care elements, in a way, they are still very different. So how do you think we should go about navigating this. Yes, there are differences between childcare and elderly care. For childcare, there's a huge educational component, especially when the child reaches the age of four onwards. They need, uh, care needs to be integrated with education. That is just how it is. With elderly care, I'm sure PC knows, it's very complex. They have many health, uh, health issues, ailments, disabilities that makes it much more difficult to provide. Now, 
A care economy is important because we need to move away from the idea that care is a social welfare issue, that care is a women's issue. A care economy matters because we need more ministries to push forward this care economy. Right now, it seems a lot like the work is being done by the Ministry of Women, Family and Community Development, but really, it needs to be the work of also the Ministry of Economy, the Ministry of Health, the Ministry of Education and Ministry of Human Resources for the Labour. So, look at it as an economy is really important because we understand that there is a service sector, a very important service sector, that many other government bodies really need to be involved in. Mm. At this point, we're not there yet. So it's really important to battle the kinds of perceptions uh, about care and to get more people to come on board and learn about the care economy and take interest in it and understand its value to our society in the next few years. Mm. Coming from the industry, PC, how easy or difficult is it for uh, enterprises to be set up in this care economy? Mm -hmm. So I think before I answer that, I would completely agree with Min, right? I think there is no one that is looking at this in a holistic manner, right? And in a different angle perspective. So that's why there will a lot of things that we will want to resolve, it's very segmented mm. and it's not done continually in, in that sense, right? And of course, I think in the past, um, recent years, we've got a lot of change in government. So that kind of like make things stop and go at the same time. Now, I think when we talk about the lack of resources here in this case, um, agree accessibility is something that we need to look into. But with the lack of resources, that's why we do have a lot of startups, enterprises that comes in. Mm. Because why we want to bridge that gap. Now, that gap of accessibility, again, when tech is involved, we require connectivity, digital infrastructure. And all of this, you can only have it in the urban area. Mm. So then I think the way I would want to position it is that, look, we have got limited resources. If most of the funding is coming from the government, then let's join hands, right? Connectivity, um, startups, it will be focused on um, the urban area. Sure, we've got all these telemeds. Do remote um, management, but have it for the urbans. Government can then start looking out at further suburbs, mm. rural, right? Then that way, no one is left behind. So yeah, there isn't a need for two people doing the same job, which is looking at the urban government shouldn't be competing with the private Absolutely. sector in markets that are already quite, where there is a market for it, right? They Absolutely. should be covering the gaps of, for that. Yeah. So, I mean, if you take a look at um, MCO, right? So, we spend a lot of money on creating that app where everyone needs to look at that app, scan that app. Where is it now, right? When it can be leveraged on what is already existing in the market. Mm. But there are also a lot of data, like what Min has mentioned, that was captured in that app. Right? So all this data, we would then know the consensus. Who are the people that's in Malaysia? What are their health statistics? What does it look like? So from there, then, you know, you're able to plan a lot better. But if you have all these startups, you know, everyone is scattered all over doing the same thing. 
so I feel like there is just no synergy. Mm-hmm. There's definitely someone who could be looking at the big picture Absolutely. in a better way and making sure that all the pieces are in place. I do want to come to the issue of labor, with bo- which both of you have mentioned, right? And I'm wondering how can we make careers in care work more attractive, PC? And you mentioned this, right, about how uh, a lot of times foreigners are seem to be more willing to come in and, and do this work. Uh, but what do you think needs to be done um, to ensure that even local Malaysians are interested in coming into this. I think what are the skill sets or expertise needed in this sector that are currently in high demand that maybe people aren't thinking about? Um, Shazana, I would say the bad news is even foreigners are probably not looking at us right now because why currency? So for us, we're getting all this brain drain because just across the river is 3.45, right? So the temptation is there. So even for foreigners... Um, example, Filipinos have always been known for very good care workers and we've always got them to come into Malaysia. But given Malaysia and Singapore, I would rather work in Singapore. Mm. So that's that, right? But I think to curb all of these, or not to curb, but I think more to leverage on who is left, that is important. Who is left? And we should recognise that. And we should combine that with tech. Tech brings in... Um, things that they can solve from a mundane perspective, anything that's routine, get tech to do all of those. Then who is left? Upskill them. Mm. You know, then give them with all the training that they have, promote them. Give them that little bit of um, reward for staying back. And I think that that is good enough of a move. Here's another question that I had, Min, and this is related back to that gender element of care work, right? There is this phenomenon where salaries tend to go up the more men enter into a specific industry. And conversely, when more women are in it, salaries also tend to go down, unfortunately, right? How do you think we can make the representation in care work um, equitable, more equitable between genders uh, so that uh, that would also, I suppose, help with these salary trends? Right, I think you bring up a great point. Yes, care work is essentially a feminized occupation. And we know that a lot of feminized occupations are not valued. Um, It's very interesting because when we think of gig workers, we think of um, grab drivers or grab delivery riders. But really, care workers are gig workers themselves, right? And a lot of them are women. Um, But when we think of gig work, we always... uh, what we do is we target our policies to, you know, these grab drivers and things like that. But that really cuts out a large amount of women who do this care work uh, quietly with very little access to social protection, very little access to more career progression. So I think this lies, uh, for me, I come from a policy er- uh, perspective. I think a lot of it needs to come from legislation. Mm. Um, people have talked about raising the status of care workers. For child care workers, it may be the case that they would have to raise the status to the level of teachers, school teachers, because they play a major educational component, right? And then when we look at elderly care workers, it's about raising their status to health care workers because it plays a big preventive health role, right? So we really need to think about how care work is seen and how care work is once again remunerated. This is really important because if not, we will still fall down to the same traps of care work being invisible work that Mm. someone in my house, my mom, my daughter will be able to pick up anyway. Mm. It's not a big deal, right? And also, one thing to talk about is that we need to look very closely at the training and skills. Right now, for childcare and elderly care, all you need to be a formal care worker is a certification, 
and the certification is provided for by certain bodies. But moving forward, other countries have already started programs where you know you have a diploma in child care, a diploma in childhood care and education, diploma in elderly care, or even higher education uh, courses for that. We really need to start thinking about bringing up those training and skills opportunities so that these skills can also be recognised as such, mm. right? So it really is a whole of, once again, a whole of economy affair. The Ministry of Education really plays a major role in this, but it really is going to take some time for all of these structures to come into place and we're only beginning to raise awareness on these issues. All right. In the minute or so that we have left, maybe we can end with um, both of your top policy recommendations or what you think the government should prioritize uh, in order to push this agenda forward? Yeah, we already hear signals from the government, which is encouraging. They're looking at it. But what do you think they need to focus on um, in the short and medium term in order for something uh, concrete to materialize? We can start with PC and we'll end with Min. Okay, sure. So the first one I would always want to look into is retirement scheme, because that that portion will help us to uh, determine what sort of quality life we're going to have. Then the second thing that I'm going to look at is, do I want to look into the care worker, the lack of, or do I want to look at prevention? Because prevention to me is always cheaper. Mm. So then what I will then advocate for is education and what can I do to prevent me from falling ill. Mm. So active aging is always something that I've advocated for. And then the last one is always leverage on all the resources that we have Right, whether if it's a private-public partnership sort of thing, rather than just trying to create something completely new all over again. And Min? Right. I have also three points very quickly. The first is really I think we need to provide social protection for informal caregivers, ensure that we can reduce the cost of care, and that will allow them to, if adequate, go back into the workforce and afford other types of private care, for example, so that they don't, you know, those are their elderly parents or children are not left at home. Secondly, we I think we need to think very critically about the care services that we have, we need to diversify them. Think of home health aids, home nursing, community-based care, types of care that can be tailored to individual circumstances that allow people to still care for their elderly if they want to or their children, but have those kinds of services to cover them throughout the working day while they're away. And thirdly, I think we also need to look very critically once again at uh, legislation and professionalization. I think until we uh, do not progress uh, on, on you know, getting more workers into the scene, creating that ecosystem, that infrastructure, there really is no care economy to speak of. Mm. Yeah. PC Minhui, thank you so much. Such a fascinating conversation. So many useful insights that hopefully we'll be discussing even more moving forward when it comes to the care economy. Thank you, Shazana. Thank you very much. I've been speaking to Lee Minhui, Public Policy Analyst with ISIS Malaysia and PC Gan, CEO and co-founder of Kampungku. This has been The Breakfast Grill on BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.